Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Today is Shabbat Shuva. It is the Sabbath of return, which is always the Sabbath that falls between Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur. And this, the portion this year for this time is Ha'azinu, which, is, which means give ear, and it is the song of Moses. After this, there's only one portion left, and that's what we'll be reading at Simchat Torah as we're doing the rejoicing of the Torah and the turning over from one Torah portion cycle into the new one at the conclusion of Sukkot. Now this morning, I have a question, and it's, what did you leave behind? Now, many of you may have just thought, I knew I forgot something. I just couldn't remember what it was. Some of you may have looked at your spouse and said, uh-huh, that was the thing we had to turn around and go back to get. Yeah, that's the thing you left behind. But whatever it was, I'm really not talking about anything that you would have left this morning. I'm talking about what you'll leave behind when you're gone. Okay? Um, and apparently, you've probably heard it said that you can't take it with you when you go, and so everything gets left behind, at least of the things that are perishable. There are things that are imperishable that will live long after you're gone. And in John verses six, or John chapter six, verse twenty-seven, Yeshua said, "Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to an eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you." For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And also, too, in Matthew, he speaks, saying, Do not store up for yourself treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy, but rather store up for yourselves treasures which are in heaven, which are with God and, and in the kingdom. And one of the things that I often think about when we come to the Song of Moses is how each of us has a life song. Not necessarily that we have a song that's our favorite one, but the life we live in a, in a way is a song. And if you heard it, there was a, a song many years ago by Casting Crowns called Life Song. And in that song, they say, let my life song sing to you, Lord. And that's really what our desire is, to have a life that brings forth glory to God, that we essentially the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, and the works of our hands would sing and proclaim the goodness of the Lord all the days of our life. And that is something that lasts, it produces a legacy that then gets carried on in others, in our children. And here in this week's portion in Hazinu, Moses is writing a song and telling it to the children of Israel. But this song isn't the song of his life. He does have a song of his life that speaks on, as we read the stories in the Torah of his life, of his greatness and the legacy that he passed on. But as he was getting ready to die, God told him to write a song, and that this song would live on from generation to generation. It would never be forgotten. And to really kind of set the scene for where we are as we come into this week's portion, we need to back up to last week's portion in Deuteronomy 31. In Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 23, well, actually, before I start reading this, back in Deuteronomy 30, the Lord was telling Moses that the children of Israel would fall away, but that he would bring them back. And then here in Deuteronomy 31, we get the same story. And then in the Song of Moses, we see the same story yet again. But here in Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 23, the scripture says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. 
and many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be as a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. So as Moses is about to die, his days are coming to an end. God told him to write this song. But in one way, you start to read what God's saying to him. He says, you're about to die, and everything that you've been working for at one point is going to come crashing down. It's not really what you want to hear, right? You want to hear, look, I brought the children of Israel here to the land. They're about to cross over. They're going to go in, take possession, and they will dwell in the land forever. And it's going to be great. And God says, well, you got part of the story, but there are troubles ahead. And within the song, he's creating a path for the children of Israel to come back to him. The song is to serve as a remembrance of who God is, of what he has done, and then what the children of Israel have done in response, actually turning away and forsaking him, having evils come upon them such that they will recognize, repent, and come back to him. But it's going to be a process of restoration that God is bringing about. Now, within this song, which we, we will read in Deuteronomy 32, um, it talks about the past and it talks about the future. I'm not sure if it really gets so much into the present, but they're being told it in the present. And there's a rabbi, Gedaliah Shore, who said the nature of song, the nature of a song is to express recognition of the total harmony of creation. It often mixes past, present, and future, for everything is revealed to the prophet as a total reality in which there is no conflict and in which future and past events are not only in harmony, but they clarify one another. Thus, everything is melded as if it were all happening at the same time. So he's speaking about the multiple elements of a song that may not seem at first glance to really fit together, but there's a harmony that God is working out in the song to tell a complete story. And that complete story, in the case of this song, is a story of creation and redemption. And I had wondered if I was going to share on this, but I, I will go ahead and do it because I think it's interesting. Um, over the past, I don't know how long, how many years, great number of years, I've had a few dreams in which in which Garth Brooks is somehow in it. Yeah, I know. I, I was always a little hesitant to say this because I was concerned word would get back to him and he'd get like a little bit weirded out. But there's nothing weird about this. And it's actually, the dreams are actually not about Garth Brooks. But I didn't know that until the third dream, like, interestingly enough. Okay, so I'll tell the, the first dream. And I don't know when this one was. Uh, it was a long time ago. Because the, the third dream was five years ago. So these other two were before that. And the first dream... I hear music coming down from down the hallway, and it was beautiful music. And so I went down the hallway to see what it was. And, and I saw, as I got to the end of the hall and turned a corner, I saw Garth Brooks sitting there playing a guitar and singing a song. And it was the song of Moses. And I was thinking, wow, this is so beautiful. Why don't we sing this anymore? Okay. 
Now, that, that's, that was the whole dream, okay? But at the time, I didn't know what the Song of Moses was. Okay, so then I went to find out what is the Song of Moses. I went and I read the Song of Moses here in Deuteronomy 32. And I read it and I was like, oh, this doesn't sound so beautiful. <laughs> Why did I think it was so beautiful in the dream? And ultimately, the reason was that I didn't understand what I was reading. I needed to understand what I was reading in light of how God sees the song, as opposed to just looking at all these calamities and unfaithfulness and, and judgments that were going to come. And what I was failing to realize is that this song was for the purpose of restoration. And that it really tells the story of the greatness of God and the greatness of his redemption. So, and then a number of years later, I had a second dream. And in the second dream, I was told that Garth Brooks, um, that he was going to have, that he had several songs that were important for the end times. Okay? And so, again, still at that time, I was thinking, oh, well, well, what did Garth Brooks sing? And I'd listen to some of his songs and I'd say, okay, maybe I can kind of think about how that would be for the end times or whatnot, but that's not the case. It wasn't really about that. Garth Brooks, once I had the third dream, which I'll maybe share later, it's about his name and what his name means, okay? Because Garth means garden and Brooks is the water. So it's the water that comes from the garden, okay? The water that comes from the garden. And it's just a beautiful picture, right? Because the garden is a picture of the temple, right? In the original creation, back in Genesis 1. And then you have the, the temple that's restored with Messiah reigning. And then you have the days to come when there is no need for a temple, but water comes forth from Jerusalem. It's still water from the throne, water that's coming to heal the nations. And so it was really a story of, I think the imagery was the idea of God singing this song to call his children back to him. And that water from the, from the garden is coming forward to bring healing, not only to his nation, but to all the nations. And so let's, let's take a look here at the song of Moses in, in Deuteronomy 32. And I think what I'm going to do is read it in four sections. So here in verses 1 through 14, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. Now, I have to pause here because there's something taking place in the opening verses here of the song. God told Moses to write this song, and then Moses said that he was calling heaven and earth as witnesses. And so he opens up with, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. The way that he begins this is he addressing the heavens and then the earth. So the progression is from heaven to earth. He says, may my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. So again, the rain which falls from heaven to the earth and the dew that comes up from the earth. And then like gentle rain upon the tender grass, like showers upon the herb. So you still have this, you have this imagery of something coming from heaven to earth. And this is the waters, right, that are coming from heaven to earth. It's the, the Torah is likened unto the water. It's likened unto water. So the Torah comes from heaven to earth to bring restoration. Yeshua is the living Torah that came from heaven to earth to bring restoration. And in Isaiah 55, Yeshua says, actually not Yeshua says, the scripture says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what is not, what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Right? God is pouring out waters 
that satisfy. He's pouring out waters that restore. And he does that through his word. He does that through his son. And so even with the opening of this song, I see imagery of those waters being poured out, his son being poured out. In verse 3, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. Curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, and the very finest of the wheat, and you drink foaming wine made from the blood of the grapes. So here in this first section, we're talking about the greatness of God and how the fault was not with him, but with his children. And the children were called to account of how could you do this to the father who loved you, who carried you and guarded you as the apple of his eye. Remember how he's provided for you. And then considering, continuing in verse 15, it says, But Yeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no, who are no people." I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation, for a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth in its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spin my arrows on them. And they shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors the sword shall bereave, and indoors terror, for young man and woman alike, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. Now this is the part that I was talking about where I was like, how is this a beautiful song? And if we stopped here, we might say, that isn't a very good song. But we, we get to continue and go on to the end and see the change, right? So let's continue in verse 26. I would have said, I will cut them to pieces. I will wipe them from human memory. Had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant. It was not the Lord who did all of this. So here the Lord is saying that the nations who come and afflict his children will exalt themselves. And he speaks of this, this nation that is coming to judge the children of Israel. He says, for they are a nation void of counsel and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put 10,000 to flight? 
unless, the, unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up. For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and re recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. So what the Lord is saying here is that, that those nations that came against Israel exalted themselves. They overstepped their boundaries. They went beyond what God was calling them to do. And as such, they would come under judgment because God was not going to completely turn over the children of Israel to them. God would deliver the children of Israel and bring judgment on the nations. And then continuing in verse 36, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate, who ate of the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword with my hand and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with, rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Okay, so God calls himself the great Savior from which none can steal and that he will redeem his children, that he will take vengeance on the nations and deliver and cleanse his people's land. There's a restoration that he's speaking of that is to come. So even when the children of Israel sin and fall away and come under hard trial, God will bring them back. He will be their redeemer and their restoration. And one of the things, one of the things that we need to understand about this book that Moses wrote. He wrote the book and gave it to the children of Israel and taught it to Joshua so that it would pass from generation to generation because ultimately the song had not yet been fulfilled, but it would ultimately one day be fulfilled. And the one who would bring about the ultimate redemption, we understand, is the Messiah. And so as such, this song... The song of Moses is also the song of the Lamb. It's the song of the redemption that comes through the Lamb. And in Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Scripture says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what happened, what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image with the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations." Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So here John is speaking of the end time when the judgments have taken place, when the restoration has come. And those who have overcome are singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And in this, it could be thought that there were two songs, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, but again, I, I believe that they are one and the same. 
The song of Moses is the song of the Lamb because the Lamb is the one who comes and does the works of the song of Moses and bringing the restoration and the revelation to all the nations. And that's where they say, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you through our Messiah. For your righteous acts have been revealed. The righteous acts of God revealed through the Messiah. And so really these, these uh, verses, um, kind of here within verses 3 and 4, when they say great and amazing are your deeds, that's like the end of the song. It's like the summary that comes after realizing the song has been completed and God has brought the restoration. Now, when we, when we spoke about a legacy and a song that passes on and we talk about the things that are imperishable, the things that last are the things that really count. And those are the things that we strive for. When we look at the life of Yeshua, Yeshua is the one who is imperishable, right? He was alive, he died, but yet he has been risen never to die again. He's the one in whom we have hope. And, and, and even now, his song is still being sung. Right? The song of his life, the song of his Torah, the song of the Lamb, they are being sung to call us to remembrance, to call us to return to God and to see his life move in us. Yeshua gave us his word, his spirit, and his life. And through his words, we live, and by his spirit, we live. Right? Now, The third dream that I mentioned actually actually had the dream five years ago on the morning of giving the message about Ha'azinu. Crazy enough. Isn't that wild? That God would give it in that time. Now, in this dream, if, if, any, of you, if any of you have watched America's Got Talent or used to, many years ago, Garth Brooks wrote a song for one of the contestants who had gone really far. The guy's name was Michael Ketterer. And so in this dream, this is what happens. In the dream, Michael's dad, Michael Jaffe's dad, whose name is Robert Jaffe, Bob Jaffe, he was getting ready to sing the song that Garth Brooks wrote for Michael Ketterer. And... Oh, I didn't read this part. Okay, I was going to play the song somehow, and I was looking for the device to play it, okay? Which I'm guessing that I was, I don't know if I was going to push a recorder because I don't play any instruments. But anyway, whatever it was, I was looking for the device to play it. And then I had a Bible in my hands, okay? So the Bible was the instrument to play it, okay? I had a Bible, and the song was printed toward the back of the Bible, And it was a really old Bible, so I was surprised that this new song that Garth Brooks had just written could be in the Bible, okay? And then I realized that Garth had written it long ago, but he had now given it to Michael Ketterer to sing, and subsequently, Bob Jaffe would sing it. Okay, that was the whole dream. Pretty, a little bit confusing, right? It's like, what's going on? This is what really brought me to say, I don't think it's about these three people. What are their names revealing? And how can that help me understand this song on the day that we're going to be singing the Song of Moses and then hearkening back to the dream that I'd had before about Garth Brooks singing the Song of Moses? Well, so that's when I found out that Garth Brooks' name means the water that flows from the garden. And then the Michael Ketterer, okay, if we look up his name, Michael means who is like God, and and his last name means holder of land to the end of time. Holder of land to the end of time. Who's the one who's the holder of land to the end of time who is like God but the Son, who is the king over all the earth, right? And then Bob Jaffe means bright in counsel, beautiful, 
bright in counsel. Who is it that's bright in counsel but the Holy Spirit who leads and guides? And so, and then I had a, a part to play in this, right? But the, but the core of it was the Father wrote this song from of old, this water that comes forth, and he gave it to his son to sing it. And his son sang it. And then he sent the Spirit who would sing the song too. All along the way, saying, this is the song of the Lamb. This is the song that takes those who have fallen and brings them back to restoration to God, who calls you out of the depths of darkness back into God's marvelous light so that God's creation from the beginning can be completed through the Son at the end of time when His Son reigns. And those who have been brought through, who have come back, the remnant will sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb and see the great and righteous acts of our God, right? That's what we're working for. Our part in this is to find the device to play it, to find the, the Word of God written both in the text and in our heart, such that then the song that we sing, the song that we live is the song of the Lamb. And seeing his righteousness revealed in us and his restoration going forth to the ends of the earth. It's incredible to think about the wonderful gift that we've been given. You know, when we read this song, the song was to speak to each generation in the place where they were lost. To bring them back to a place where they're found. And in the dream, or not in the dream, in, this, in, this, in the song that, of Moses, it says when all these evils come upon them, then they're going to begin to see this restoration. If we backed up to Deuteronomy 30, we'd see the same thing in 31, talking about when the evils fall upon them, then, then there will begin to be recognition of the sin that has separated us from God, and we will begin to turn back. So what is it, and, and you know, so, so that recognition is part of what turns us back to God. And I was thinking on it this morning about what is it that really brings about change? Okay, what brings about change? First off, we have to recognize that something is wrong. Okay, but beyond just recognizing something's wrong, we then have to begin to believe that it could be better. Because you could recognize something wrong and just say, well, that's the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be, and nothing happens. But then, So you have to go from recognizing to then believing it can be better. Okay, but you're still not there, right? Because then you have to say, do you have any idea of what it is that could make it get better? Now, but, okay, so you recognize you believe, and then you have an idea, or you kind, kind of know what would be the thing that would make it better. But even that's still not enough, right? Because you actually have to come to a point of felt discomfort to actually move and change, right? Because just recognizing, believing, or having an idea that's not going to be enough to overcome the inertia of just sitting where you are and doing what you've always done. Great innovation, even in business, comes from a place where it's like, this is painful. I don't like what's happening. I see a better way. And now, because I'm, I've, moved, I've become so uncomfortable, I'm, willing, I'm going to actually put the effort forward to make the change. So we have to have that felt unease to bring us to a place where we're actually going to do something to make the thing better. And that's where all these difficulties come upon the children of Israel or even difficulties in our lives that will then bring us to a point where we say, okay, I'm going to do the thing that I know will make things better. I'm going to overcome the obstacle and return to the Lord. And you look at the story of the prodigal son. Right? He goes out, he's living his own way, he doesn't really care about his father or about the wealth or anything of the Lord. 
And it's once he's come to his end, when he wishes he could eat what the pigs eat, that he's like, wait a second. There's something better, and I can go back to my father. And then he comes back. That's a picture of all these iniquities or all these trials and tribulations coming upon someone to then bring them back to restoration. And God says, I can use those things. I can use those difficulties to help bring you to a place of coming back to me. And one of the things with this is we, we turn back to God. And when we think about the song of our life, at times it can be difficult to say, what is the song of my life right now? Because you can look and you can say, my past has some really dark places. And if that's part of the song of my life, ugh, how can it be a good song? Or maybe I'm in a place right now in my, in my present time when things aren't good. I don't see a way forward. I, I don't know what the future holds. The future doesn't look bright. Is the song of my life good? And the thing is, I think God can take our song and make it beautiful. He can make it beautiful because he can redeem that which was lost. He can take that which the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. To where even the things of our past that were dark, that we say, if that's part of my song, it can't be a good song. He says, no, I've taken the shame from that. If you've brought it to me, if you've laid it before me, if you have repented and turned from that, no, I can take the shame from that and you can walk in wholeness and I can actually take that difficulty and use it for good in your life. I can actually make it a testimony so that the song of your life comes into complete harmony toward even though I created you good and you fell, I can bring you back. And this whole song, this whole story is good. You know, we can't live in the past and we can't live in the future. The past is a memory and the future is an imagination. But the memory of the past and the belief in the future can shape how we live today. Even too, remembering that Yeshua came and that he will come again, right? Those are the past and those are the future, and they should very much affect what we do today. They should change the course of our present that will then create a future that gives glory unto God. And so when we look at this and say, it's not so much... What did you leave behind? It's what will you leave behind? What legacy will you leave behind? And how does the song of, of the Lamb change your life? Right? Because he comes and he brings the re redemption. And in, here in Deuteronomy 32, 46, he said, Take to heart all the words by which I'm war warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this Torah. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you, are, that you are going over the Jordan to possess. The words of life. The words of life. Yeshua says that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. Right? And when God moves in us, and brings us to repentance and return to him. He's making things new. In Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 20, he says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. 
The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. There it is again. He says, I give the living waters to my people. I make a way where there's no way, and I'm doing new things. You know, as we're coming to Yom Kippur, we're coming to this great day of atonement, the day of a day in which we will bear our souls before the Lord in repentance and crying out to Him and closing the day with full assurance that He has heard our prayers and that He has redeemed us and giving glory to our Father in heaven because of the great redemption that He's brought through His Son. You know, when we were speaking about the redemption of His Son, even we were seeing so much about it this morning, And just the depths of the Father's love for us, that He would redeem us. And I was thinking about this idea about how felt discomfort causes change. It causes us to act. Can you imagine the felt discomfort of the Father seeing His children in exile? And how, how huge that must have been to prompt him to send his son to die for us. When you look at the magnitude of that action, you have to say there was a corresponding felt discomfort that brought about that great change, that great move. I can't even fathom the depths and the magnitude of God's love that would move him to do something that great, right? And the scripture in John 3 says, for in this way God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. It's incredible to think of his love. And he says, come to these waters that I've poured out and receive the healing, receive the restoration And when I was thinking about the rejoicing that he has over us, I was thinking about how the scripture says that he will sing over us. And I went and read that passage in Zephaniah chapter 3. And I felt like we should read the, the context of this passage. He, in Zephaniah 3 verse 10 he says, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. Do you see that? He says, in that day, you will not be put to shame on account of the deeds by which you rebelled against me because he's sending forth healing. He's sending forth forgiveness. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. God gives us the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb because he desires to sing over us. To exalt us, to lift him up as his children, to bring us back to him. What an incredible story. And that he would remove our shame. 
that his restoration would be complete. And as we're, as we're moving, okay, so of course we still have Yom Kippur to go uh, and cel- or celebrate, to observe, beginning Sunday night. But immediately after Yom Kippur begins the few days leading up to Sukkot, one of the key themes of Sukkot is the clouds of glory, right? Where God says that he wants us to remember the time when he caused the children to dwell in Sukkot. He caused the children of Israel to dwell in his glory cloud, right? And during the time of Sukkot, we build these little tabernacles, right, that are temporary structures. And within these structures, there's a remembrance of the clouds of glory that God caused the children of Israel to dwell in. And we take the things that are of the earth and we build the structure. And on top of the structure, we take uh, what's called skah, okay? which are plants that we've cut from the earth and that we've lifted up and placed on top of the sukkah. And it's a picture of heaven and earth meeting. Okay? Because the things of the earth are raised up into the heavens and they're a remembrance of the clouds of glory. God's glory cloud descending and meeting with man. And then we sit under the shade of these things that are the union of heaven and earth. So in it, there's an image of us dwelling in God's presence. And, of course, Sukkot is known as the season of God's dwelling with man, the season of our joy. And so we're getting ready to celebrate a holiday that very much focuses on heaven coming to earth and this encounter, a looking forward to the day when God will dwell with man. And it's the very day that results from the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. All working together with God saying, I have created mankind in this world. It has fallen, but I've sent redemption I've sent redemption, I've raised him up, and I will send him again. And in that, we will have God dwelling with man. So as we come into the time of Sukkot, we're celebrating Yeshua's first coming and his birth. We're celebrating his second coming when he rules and reigns on the earth and makes ready the way for the Father. And so as we come in and we celebrate this time, let us do it with hearts that know that God has taken our shame, that he is still writing our song, and that he has called us to go forward in singing and joy and rejoicing before him, looking forward to the marriage of the Lamb and the kingdom to come. Amen. Do you have anything that you want to share I uh, there was a, a lot of wonderful things you said this morning and I one thing that really got my attention I guess because of the life that I have what's happened the last couple of years and I had shared with y'all before about a um, a book called uh, don't waste your sorrows and I just I had went through the book again recently and I was uh, just want to read a couple of things he says in here which I think are so because uh, I think a lot of times in life, I used to always see, well, you know, there's, there's good things in life and there's bad things in life, but really it's just life. It's really what makes up your life. It's not, I mean, yeah, yeah, they're, they're not what you want, but it, it never, like the bad doesn't stay bad unless that's what you want. But really, if you don't, if you stay with God, it doesn't stay bad. It never does. And I remember how many times in my life you look back and I'm like, why am I stressed? I know it's going to change. I just don't know when. And I think that's the problem with us. We're impatient. We want it to change now. And God's like, I'm still working. I'm still working. Let me change. You know, if it takes, 
If it took God 40 years to take them in promised land, when it should have taken 11 days, obviously we know there was some shaping to be done and some changing, just like for us. But he says in here, and I love this, I said, I, I never had an affliction which did not turn into a poem. Life's greatest blessings come out of life's greatest sorrows. Nothing really worthwhile comes without pain and cost. And I just wrote to the side, I said, what a contrast to our me-centered world that we live in now. That we don't realize what God is doing. It's because we want it now, we want it our way. But yet, I, I can't even exclaim, I can't even proclaim the amount of amazing things God's done in the last two years. And how things that, that really made no sense at the moment make sense now. I'm not saying it was always God's will, that, that choices that are made and then when we sin, but what I'm saying is that God can make beauty out of the things that we mess up. Um, whether it's done to us or whether we do it or whatever life brings, brings us. And uh, when you look at that, the beauty of what God can do, like you said, there has to be a point in our life, and I know it's definitely come over me since my accident and since this happened, where I know what God has done through the pain and the sorrow. I can see it now, and it puts a smile on my face. Tears of joy every single week of what God has done. So praise our Father. Praise our Father. Amen. Thank you, Paul. All right, bless God. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory. We thank you, Lord, that there is no God but you. We thank you, Lord, for your ways are righteousness and your righteous acts are being revealed. Lord, we ask that you would give us greater revelation of who you are. Help us to walk in your way, Lord, that our life song would sing to you. May your purposes be accomplished in us and through us, Lord. Lord, in this time of repentance and in the days ahead of celebrating in Sukkot, Lord, I ask that you'd move powerfully in our midst. Lord, give us rejoicing. Give us eyes to see what can be. To be able to take hold of the new thing that you're doing, Lord. To walk in it with joy and glad singing. Strengthen us, Lord. We love you, Lord. We bless you. and give, we, we give you praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.